Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. Welcome back to the same old Arsenal podcast, Four Men and a Mic Edition. I hope you're all very well. I hope you're all keeping safe um, and all that malarkey. You know what? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting sick of saying that kind of stuff now. I think it's all kind of calming down a bit now, isn't it? The old uh, coronavirus, which certainly is over here anyway. Um, yeah, I hope you're all well. Uh, sorry that um, we didn't come on Sunday with Graham. Um, I had a bit of a wobble and I fell off the wagon, but I'm all right again now. Um, so my apologies. We'll bring that show to you um, as soon as we can. We might do something um, on on um, Sunday if he is available. Danny's not with us uh, this evening. Unfortunately, he's got a bit of a dicky tummy, so he's watching. He's actually there in the chat box. Hello, mate. How are you? hope you get better soon. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope that bug goes away soon, mate. So, lads, James, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Always better when I'm graced by your beautiful face. Oh, well, you know, you know, I don't like to say it, but, you know, when someone else says it, just, you know... Well, if I had a beautiful face, I wouldn't be sitting here anyway. Talking of beautiful faces and sitting here, Chris, how are you? Hello. I am, well, I was about to say I'm fabulous, but we're not allowed to celebrate anymore. So, oh, oh, just, yeah. Yeah. Just, I'm just going to keep it low key and say <laughs> I'm alive, I'm breathing, and I think that is acceptable. And I think we're allowed to say things like that. But should we just go to the Wolves Twitter feed to find out, see if it's yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, do it, actually. Yeah, just just, just uh, go over there and see, 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 can we talk about tonight's game? Um, so, yeah, in the chat, hello, Danny. Hello, GB. Hello, Hambo. And hello, oh, my dearie me. I'm not even going to try and pronounce that one. Uh, I'll just Albrecht Schultz. Yeah, uh, Albrecht Schultz. Albrecht. Albrecht Schultz. Albrecht Schultz. I hope I've got that right. Thank you very much for coming along. James, we sat here last week. We were all a bit nervous about going to Wolves. We come away with the three points. What a performance. Yeah, where, where to start, mate? Um, 
yet again, another sending off for us. Seems to be a common theme, but the performance, the result, everything I could have hoped for. I thought we started that game a lot better than I was expecting us to. We really came out of the blocks firing, you know, after those games against Burnley and Liverpool, where it was a pretty slow, sluggish start. This was, I don't want to say the polar opposite, but we certainly started with a lot more ambition. We looked a lot more ruthless. Um, and we really we, we really took the game to Wolves, which is something we haven't done um, in recent weeks. And after having those, as I say, pretty poor performances, we kind of got the uh, camel off our back. And yeah, it was... Um, it was really good to see. Absolutely, that uh, that um, that trip to Dubai, Chris, seems to uh, seems to have worked. Done him a treat, didn't it? Did him an absolute treat. And do you know what? I was just looking at some of the numbers from the actual game because you know after the, I'm sure we'll get to the um, we'll get to the goal and the sendings off and stuff like that. But it felt to me like we were under the cosh a lot more than the numbers actually suggest. I mean, they had a lot more possession than us. But when you go yeah. down to 10 men, you expect that. But they had 15 shots. We had 12. We only had two on target, which sums up us, really, in terms of our striking threat, I guess. But they only had four. Um, they had a lot more passes than us. But I feel like most of their the, the the weighting of stats seems to have been from that 20 minutes from when we, mi- we missed. We were down to 10 men. So it was massive. It was battling. It was like the backs to the wall type stuff that reminded me of the Liverpool game. And even though it's terrifying when you actually watch it, when you then think back at it the next day, like I don't know about you guys, but I was like randomly just walking through because I work from home. I was just walking through my house. Like I go to need to go and get a drink of water and I go downstairs and I'd be walking down the stairs going, come on, just like for no <laughs> yeah. reason whatsoever. It's like 12 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. And I've suddenly been reminded that we beat Wolves. Come on. Although I didn't do it too much, obviously, you know, Keep it low key. Yeah, gotta keep it low key because, like you said, look, the wolves don't the wolves don't like us celebrating. Um, I hope now if we beat them at the Emirates, the celebrating is twice twice as loud and twice as that. That will be good fun. That will be good fun. Yeah, um, James. Some people on social media were actually like downgrading this win. People, oh, it was just wolves. We should be beating wolves. You know, it was we we beat them with ten men. Oh, it's not great. You know, it wasn't great football and this, that, and the other. And then, of course, they come down and go up the road and 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 do the others over um, two 0 quite easily that we were talking about off off air. Now, I do believe, if I my stats are correct, that Aaron Ramsdale and is it Jose Sar, yeah, are, are leading the way with 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 clean sheets. I think. Um, I think it's Ed, uh, Edison at the top, Allison and Ramsdale joint on eleven. And then Jose Sar just underneath him. Well, I mean, even still for Wolves, um, you know, they, 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 they've got a good. De- they, they, that proves to me that they've got a good defence, right? So mm. we go up there, we beat them, and then we, we we don't just beat them; we beat them in ten men. And then my point is, they come down to they come down to Spurs and they and, and absolutely annihilate them. In in, in my opinion, that one nil away victory, you know, down to ten men doesn't look too shabby. All of a sudden, does it? No, not at all. And I, I don't know how you can really downplay that result. Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's because the performance when we went down to 10 men was a little bit, uh, I don't want to say average. It was a really good defensive performance, especially from, um, I thought, Rob Holding when he came on. Uh, Wolves' tactic of kind of just crossing it relentlessly and him dealing with every single cross that came in. It seems to be, it's not an ideal transition, but when you go from 11 to 10 and you're able to bring someone like Rob Holding on, and go into a deep block and know that you're going to be okay because you've got him to do that. 
I think it's a huge asset because in the past when we have gone down to 10 men and you've kind of got no choice but to go in that deep block, we've not had the option to kind of go to a back five or if we have, we've not had the calibre of player to go into that low block mm. and we've ended up throwing the game. So to hold on with 10 men for a good half hour period against the top side away from home with the likes of Podence, Raul Jimenez, it's a really good result. It's a really, really good result. They've only lost one more game than us this season. Yeah, There's not a lot of sides that are going to go to Wolves you know, even playing in their own home turf and win that game. Spurs being the prime example of that. Mm. And there's a lot of other teams that will go to Molyneux and really, really struggle. Uh, it, top teams. I think, you know, the likes of Liverpool, City will go there and have a, have a tough game. And I think, you know, granted, we didn't create a lot of opportunities. I think we knew going into the game, there would only be a few chances in this game and maybe a few half chances. But I thought we created three really good opportunities to score. First of all, the corner where we got the goal. Gabriel's done really well to toe poke that home. But then also that beautiful bit of play with Saka and Erdegaard and if you've got a top striker in the box they put it low and underneath the keeper unfortunately mm. Lacazette's put it straight at Saar yeah. and then the other opportunity Lacazette had which I think is a, a bit more difficult than people are making out given the angle it was but again you'd expect a top top striker to finish that so on another day we could have won this game I don't think we'd have won it any more than 2-0 but the chances were there we, we certainly yeah. did create them it's not a case of we did nothing in this game and we're lucky to win it we did do enough to win this game yeah. and then we're defensively stout to see it out so yeah really really pleased with the performance and uh no way no way you can downplay that result no absolutely not I mean I saw it you know you know I mean, now probably looking at the wrong accounts you know the Alteta out as well you know they, everything's Mikhail Alteta's fault um the be uh beast the best that's what I was looking at. That is exactly what I was looking at there. It's not clean sheets. It was expected goals prevented. Um, they're both up there, I believe. Um, Chris, uh, the the goal. Um, yeah, coming from you know, like it comes from you know, it comes from uh, it comes from an outlet you wouldn't expect. Like James says, there, Gabriel in the right place at the right time um, to to poke that home. Um, but I want to go back to the, what he said about Lacazette. A lot of people, uh, uh, James has said there about the angle. I'm going to respectfully disagree. Um, and I'm with him on what he says about, you know, any top striker, that is bread and butter. That, you know, that's it's going in the goal. I mean, if, of course it is. If you put, you know, I mean, I, I can go back now and talk about Thierry on me. But if you put Thierry, it's in. Do you know, it's in. Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez, it's in. Robin Van Persie, perhaps. Probably it's in Martinelli. Martinelli would probably put that away, yeah. Um, but overall, even though we're talking about that, Miss, I thought Lacazette played really well against Wolves. Yeah, he did. But the problem is, is it's a bit like the Granite Xhaka syndrome, isn't it? The Granite Xhaka syndrome is basically he could have a good game, but then um, he boots one into his own net. Or he can have a good game and then he shirt pulls and concedes a penalty. Or he can yeah. have a good game and then he picks up a silly yellow card having shirt pulled halfway through the game and, you know, he gets himself sent off. So, and people only ever think about those stupid moments. And with Lacazette, people only think, and I'm the same, I'm guilty of this as well. I, I think back on that game, and all I'm thinking about is that missed chance, which again, Martinelli was slipped in in almost that exact same position and puts the ball away and against West Ham. And I don't know about you, but like it just, you just felt it was going in when Martinelli mm. did it. You yeah. don't feel it's going in with Lacazette. There was also another chance in the first half where Cedric's crossed the ball in and Lacazette sort of right on the six yard box trying to head the ball and he just sort of almost completely miss, miss, misses the ball. Mm. So there's just instances like that which 
stick in your mind. And because of that, you end up finishing the game and thinking, well, that's why we that's why we haven't won this two or three nil, because we haven't got a guy that puts it away. So I think it's that's that kind of Xhaka syndrome of you only remember the bad stuff. And when he's doing bad stuff, and it seems to happen every week at the moment where he's missing big chances, it just makes it feel worse. Yeah, absolutely absolutely agreed. Um absolutely agreed. I think um I, I just want Lacazette. To, I, I know there's a there's a lot of people out there that his stats are poor. They are poor. Um, there's no getting away from it. I think he's only scored what's he scored two goals from open play this season. I think. I mean that, that, yeah. that that's terrible. Um, or was it two or four, two or four? I think um, it, it's awful. And we really, really, really need that strike. And I was just saying to James off air there before we came on. We've re- I just really hope that. What we're seeing at Arsenal is is that transition to being good, you know, to be great again. Um, I hope in the summer that we bring in this. I hope in the summer we bring in a top class midfielder and a top class striker because once we've got those, once we've got those two elements, we ain't far off. I really don't think we are far off. This was in the chat there. Two from open play in his last twenty-one Premier League appearances. I mean, that's yeah. that, that, that's yeah. shocking. Do you know, it is yeah. shocking and. You look back and you think, well, why did we, you know, why have we let Aubameyang go? And, and you know, why isn't Nikita getting, uh, Eddie and Ketty are getting a chance? Let's talk about that. James, why, why, you know, why when you've got an Eddie and Ketty on the bench? I mean, look, there's no comparison into, you know, quality of Enketia and Lacazette. You know, Lacazette's obviously done a lot more. He's a lot older and he's a lot more experienced. Enketia's got a lot more to learn. But surely with what we're seeing, Arteta wants to bring the younger player in, and it, you know, from his signings, he's bringing in a lot of younger players. Do you think it's Enketia's hesitation to sign a new contract that he's not getting started, or do you think Arteta really believes that you know Lacazette is his man, even though was has just given us quite a damning, uh, damning stat there: two goals from open play in the last twenty-one. I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, I think Nketiah is only here for contingency purposes. I don't think he's here for any other reason. Um, If we had another backup striker or if we had a little bit more depth up front, then we'd have accepted one of those bids that we got, supposedly one of those bids that we got from, say, Crystal Palace in January. For him to still be here is just ludicrous. Um, You know, I rate what he's done in the League Cup. Those goals he got against Sunderland were really good. They're all pretty much from about three yards out. And that's the type of striker he is. And uh, I think, you know, we would get him in those situations. But the last opportunity I can think of that Eddie Nketiah had in the Premier League was that miss against Everton. And that's the one that really sticks out in my mind. And when you factor in that he doesn't score in the Premier League or very rarely scores in the Premier League, but then also doesn't do the things that Lacazette actually brings to this team, like the work rate, like bringing others into the game. I mean, it, it sounds silly to say, but I, I would be moderately satisfied if we got, uh, it, this is only on the basis that we got top four, but if Lacazette scored no goals, but it meant that Martinelli, Erdegaard, Smith-Rowe, Saka got more goals because of him providing or mm. getting pre-assists, bringing them into the game. And that's what I think a lot of people don't give him enough credit for because I think the way he's playing he's not necessarily always going to be in those goal scoring opportunities because he's playing a ball through to someone like Martinelli that uh, Chris the goal you reference against West Ham created by Lacazette coming in deeper opening up the space to Martinelli and that's that's exactly what he's doing a lot more of now so he's not always the one 
bursting, busting the gut to get into the box is the people around him. So I think mm. that's the, the one of the main reasons why he's not getting as many goals, but it's also down to those opportunities that he's missing. So it's, it's obvious we need to upgrade him, but I think uh, he is doing some good things. And in answer to your question, I just I just don't rate Nketiah, to be totally transparent with you. Me too, mate. Me too. Do you know, can I just jump in? Can I just jump in on that? So I think we change. The problem with Enketia is number one, he he doesn't have the requisite quality anyway. Um, I think if you're going to look for an alternative to Lacazette, then you have to look at somebody like people talk about Martinelli. But if you take Martinelli, I think we talked about this last week, didn't we, Craig? Mm. If you take Martinelli out from left, where he can make those runs from in, then. Does he make the same runs in the same angles from a central centre forward position? I don't know. I've heard people talk about Nicolas Pepe. I would actually rather try that. Well, yeah. I'd I, rather see someone yeah. like Nicolas Pepe because he can receive the ball with back to goal. Like Nicolas Pepe, what, what, what are the challenges that we've seen from Nicolas Pepe? Um, sometimes when he's shunted out wide on the right um, and he doesn't always beat his man. But technically, when he receives the ball, he's quite strong. So I think he could do a similar sort of job where he can receive the ball his pass distribution isn't that bad, uh, but Arteta doesn't seem to fancy him. I mean, I would personally be looking at that. It sounds to me like they have uh, I, I, they've eyed up Martinelli as a centre forward, but I feel yeah. like I'd rather keep him out wide in that position. Try somebody like Nicolas Pepe because he can he can control the ball. All right, there are instances where his control lets him down, but when, when that normally happens, it's when he's running onto the ball, whereas Lacazette doesn't run onto any balls whatsoever. And I think Nicolas Pepe can spot similar passes to that that Lacazette can do. But also, we've got a guy that's a bit more athletic, and also he doesn't, after 60 minutes, seem like he's blowing out of his arsehole like <laughs> Lacazette does, having had two weeks off sitting on a beach. Mm. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I mean, look, Nicolas Pepe, I understand that Nicolas Pepe is not everyone's cup of tea. I understand that a lot of people, me included, um, think that he's kind of wasted out on the kind of wasted out on the wing. I'm not saying that he's the answer to our I'm not saying for a minute that he's the answer to our problems, but when you've got a player like him sitting on the bench doing nothing, and like you said, Chris, you can see Lacazette, you know, blowing out of his I mean, I can't believe I mean I find it quite strange that he brought on Nketiah instead of instead of Pepe. I, I'd just love mm. to know why he keeps playing a player who clearly wants to leave, who's clearly not going to sign a new contract. Why he why he keeps playing him? I, it's, it's 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 dumbfounding to me. I, I don't know. But what I will give credit for, uh, I'll take a credit for uh, James is the substitution that he made when we went down to ten men. 
um, took Saka off, put Rob Holding on. Um, and, you know, it turned out to be, you know, a, a genius move. We've seen managers, we've seen managers do some quite weird things when we've gone down to 10 men um, uh, back back in the day. I can remember we went down to 10, was it we went down to 10 men at, at Anfield and instead instead of bringing on a, a, we had a big defender on the, on the bench, I can't remember who it was now, but he brought on a midfielder and they got a free kick in the last minute and went up the other end and scored the winner. I'll have to see if I can find the highlights to that because I, it was it was at Anfield. It was either we got someone sent off and instead of putting on a new defender, a central midfielder came on and they scored from the they scored from the free kick and won the game. Um uh, so a bit of credit to Arteta there, James. Yeah, definitely. I I think it's a fairly simple thing to do now though, because we've got so ex- so much experience going down to ten men. Um I mean we <laughs> we we really learned a lot from that game at Anfield and uh, I think you've got to give credit to to the defence for being so calm in those situations, for for doing the dirty work really. Um and I'm referencing Rob Holden in that because, you know, there's not a lot of... We haven't really got defenders like him at Arsenal. He's, he's kind of the only one. I mean, we've got uh, Gabriel and Ben White, who Gabriel in particular, I think, is he's the perfect hybrid of an old-school centre-half, but also the modern centre-half in terms of playing it out from the back. I think it was his ball that put Lacazette through in that chance that he should have scored. So he was... Um, he was incredible in that game, and he's been incredible pretty much every game he's played this season. Uh, but Ben White alongside him... So good at playing it out from the back. So good with the ball at his feet. Can put in a good tackle as well. They're, su- they're just such a good balanced centre-half pairing. But then you've got Rob Holding, who's just no-nonsense, old-fashioned, and in those situations is great. And we all know why he won't get into his starting eleven. But I know a lot of people don't rate him. I know a lot of people don't think he belongs anywhere near a top-10 Premier League side. But I guarantee if he was playing for a Newcastle or any team in the bottom 10 of the Premier League, and he was doing what he did in that Wolves game every single game, because a lot of it would be back to the Wolves stuff. People would be talking about him as a top defender. And I think that's, mm. I'm not going to you know say that he's a top, top defender, but I think he's a very useful defender. I yeah. think when yeah. It, it, yeah, if he's happy to be a bit part player in this Arsenal team, kind of play that Pascal Seagan role, I'm very happy for him to carry on at the club for you know the next few years, because he's such a useful player to have in the team. And when you think... We've got William Saliba coming in next season. We've got three defenders that are very, very modern, that are very good at playing it out with their feet. And then you've got Rob Holding, which is the polar opposite to all of them. And it's a really nice variation of centre-backs. Do you know what I was just going to say, just to add on to that, um, Craig um, and and, uh, Cookie, one thing was actually said on Twitter, which made me chuckle. It was like Rob Holding doing exactly what he does best, which is be a League One defender. (laughs) Which kind of maybe is a, a little bit harsh, but I think the uh, the kind of concept around it, you're right. And what you've just said, James, is absolutely spot on. Like we've seen this time and time again, where you see goalkeepers who make lots of saves every week playing for teams towards the bottom of the league, and everyone says, "Oh, they're absolutely stunning! What a great goalkeeper!" Imagine what would happen if they were playing for Man United or Arsenal or Liverpool, or whatever it was. Well, the reality was, is if they were playing for Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, is that they'd have nothing to do for. Most of the well, you can't say that about us recently, but um, they'd have nothing to do for a lot of the games, and so it's about concentration. And then when you are called upon doing it, Rob Holding is a good, decent, solid penalty box defender. And when we need, he's the absolute archetypal perfect. We need to play with a back three, and we need somebody in the middle just going to head everything away because that's basically all Wolves did. Their plan was to go. Let's, let's get it ball out wide and get the ball into the box. And it, it did make me chuckle that they got so irate because all we did is apply the same tactics that they applied from minute one, which was back three with wing backs. Mm. 
difficult to break down. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the strangest sending off. I'll stay with you, Chris. The strangest sending off I've ever seen. I've been going. I've been watching football since I've my first football match when I was eight. So I've been watching football since I was eight. Years. I've never seen a sending off as strange as that. Um, I haven't had a chance to really, to be honest with you, it was just so weird. I was kind of just sat back and said, how has that just actually happened? Um, Martinelli pushes the player. The referee waves play on. He goes up the other, he goes up the other end and then he pushes another player in the back. Then the referee comes over and books him twice. But surely if you've given this is the way I'm looking at it. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's right or not, or whether you agree. But surely, if you've waved play on and given the advantage, he has to be brought back and booked for the original offence. And the second offence kind of is gone. It's, you know, it's which I don't even think it was a booking anyway. To be honest with you, um, yeah. it's such, it was such a strange decision. I've never seen anything like that before. It's utterly bizarre. What about this for a scenario, hypothetical scenario? So Martinelli does that. Um, look, I mean, if we break down the different parts of it, well, number one, Podence throws the ball whilst his feet are off the ground. So that's a foul throw anyway. Yeah. Right? You can argue that maybe Martinelli's pushed him. But if it's a foul throw, you can't play advantage because he's just done a, fa- he's just done a foul throw. So number one, you've just made a foul throw. So that's got to be brought back so you retake the throw anyway. So first mistake from Michael Oliver. Number two is... He hasn't given Martinelli the opportunity. He hasn't, by booking somebody, you're essentially saying, this is a warning for your behavior. It is a warning. You can't say it's a warning and then a second warning and then you're off because then, okay, so what are the rules? So let's put another scenario in. So it's a yellow card for the foul throw push. It's a foul on there. But imagine if he he fouled the player and the player carried on going and Martinelli chased after him and he went down to the corner flag, Martinelli barged him over again. What's he going to do? Say, that's a yellow card for that. That's a yellow card for that. And you can have a third yellow card as well. And now you're off. What's he going to do from that? All right, I'm yeah. going to give you two red cards. The logic does not make sense. No, it makes it was... absolutely no sense whatsoever. Michael Oliver was ruled by his heart rather than his head. Uh, he got the hump because of people have said he's got the hump. He'd got the hump because of some of the time wasting gamesmanship. I mean, that's really wound me up because I go to the I go to the Arsenal every odd week. And let me tell you, any team that isn't in the top five or six teams in the league come to the Emirates and about half time, they're, by half time, they're time wasting. I've seen Team Crawl on 20 minutes walk from one side of the six yard penalty box, six yard box to the other in the first half. Yeah, and Arsenal yeah. fans are going, what's going on here? What's going on here, ref? They do nothing. And then they do a token booking in the last minute for a goalkeeper, time wasting for the whole game. It's utterly ludicrous. So, really, Michael Oliver, really. Yeah, has been ruled with his head and his heart. Sorry, well, I, I've got go, my soapbox now. Yeah, I'll go back to what I say about referees. They a ref long, it's long gone since the referee is just there to referee a game now. The referee wants to get involved now, he wants to be in the paper, he wants to be the headline. And for me, that was Michael Oliver's way of going, hmm, How can I get in the paper tomorrow? Because this is quite a boring game, isn't it? Uh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And Bob's your uncle, there you go. We're all talking about him. He's 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 the main focus um, of the game all of a sudden um, for that stupid stupid decision. Danny coming there, he said that Keith Hackett, obviously the um, the ex Premier League referee, uh, absolutely slated him for it. 
uh, was us coming there, and he says Burnley, Burnley waste time from minute one. They do. Um, they were doing it at the Emirates. They were doing yeah. it at the Emirates from the first half. I saw it with my own bleeding eyes. It drove me potty. And so then to see Oliver getting the hump with Gabriel on sixty minutes, I feel like saying, right, when you next come to the Emirates, mate, and you and you referee uh, an Arsenal versus a, I don't know, a, a Wolves or a Southampton or a Everton or a West Ham, and they're doing it. Apply the same rules, please. Yeah, exactly. Consistency. Yeah, consistency. This one comes in from Cliff. Thank you very much, Cliff, for your kind donation. Uh, Mikhail Arteta has the hunt with Pepe, so it would be his e- his ego over the team again. Uh, Gab only saw time because Mikhail Arteta had the hunt with Bamiyang. It's a piss take. Um, to be honest, it's kind of a bit of, a bit of truth there, really. I mean, because, you know, Martinelli wouldn't have got his go in the team if, if Aubameyang had behaved himself. But then perhaps if Aubameyang had behaved himself, he'd still be banging in goals for us. So swings and roundabouts, Cliff. Swings and roundabouts. Thanks for your donation, mate. James, the Martinelli sending off. What did you make of that? It's, it's mental, isn't it? It's just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I saw it in real time. Um, it's, it's strange when you think about the amount of times we've been to places like Stoke, Burnley, and you see those types of challenges countless times throughout a game yeah. and it just nothing happens. Like nothing happens. You think back over the past 10, 15 years, how many times that's happened. And you know, how many times in recent seasons where things have gone against you us? Know, one, sorry to interrupt you there. One that's that right. sticks, one that sticks in my memory is when we were playing Norwich at Carrow Road and some fella, I forget who it was, but they bundled um, Alexis Sanchez into a bloody brick camera hut. Remember, <laughs> yeah. remember that? No, no never yeah. got booked for that either. Can, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. No, that's all right, mate. I was just going to say, you know, I'm not saying that we're we're a team full of meatheads anymore, but you know, given that we've got a bit of a tougher team, you look at our back five. They're big guys, you know. They're they're pretty no nonsense. And then you look at some players that have got a bit of bite about them, like Gabriel Martinez. We're not really. I'm not saying we're a hard team. I'm not saying we're a soft team. I think we're somewhere in the middle when we play the game quite intelligently. I mean, it sounds silly given that we've got so many sendings off recently. But it's, I think we're starting to find that balance a little bit more between when to play hard and when to be intelligent. Um, and I don't think referees... It sounds silly. I don't, I don't think they like it. I don't, don't like that we're you know, not playing the Arsenal way sometimes and we've got a bit about us now. Um, and it kind of falls into a sort of unintentional bias... Uh, against us almost and I think it's kind of there's always been something about Arsenal whether it be refereeing whether it be the media um, going off on a massive tangent here but you just look at the way media outlets talk about us when things are going well you look at the refereeing decisions that go against us when things are going well it's just really really weird Um, I'm not sure why it is because you don't see it with Hardly see it with Man City, maybe because no one cares about them that much. You don't see it that often with Liverpool. You hardly ever see it with Liverpool. Um, but it's always Arsenal. It always seems always. to be Arsenal. Always, always Arsenal. Chris, are we refereed differently? You, look, I mean, I was speaking to, uh, speaking to James about this off air just before we, you know, before we came on. For me, it was the game at Old Trafford. I mean, look, I'm sure there's older fans out there that will be able to tell me loads of other times it happened. But for me, it was the the game at Old Trafford. 50 wins you know how we came away from that game with no points how Manchester United came away from that that game with 11 players on the pitch will always be um 
it will always be a question that I can never, ever, ever find an answer to. And I think ever since then, Arsenal have been refereed differently. And has it... Has it, in your opinion, got anything to do with about what Arsene Wenger said? You know, what Arsene Wenger, I think he gave, he, he, he had a press conference once and he actually went to town on the referees, didn't he? Um, and ever since then, it seems like there's been this vendetta against Arsenal. When you see some of the decisions that have gone against us, and I, I always bring up that David Luiz one at Wolves last year. I mean, how, 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 how has VAR not overturned that red card. It's it's absolutely amazing. And when people say to me, oh, you bloody Arsenal fans, you're always moaning, you're always moaning. When I actually sit them down and say, right, okay, I was actually done it at work the other day. There was a fella, oh, you're always moaning, you're always... I said, right, come here, sit down. And I played him a compilation that was on YouTube of all the bad decisions we've had. And he actually went, oh, yeah, all right, you might have a point. You know, so... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It's just, it's, it's ludicrous. And I, I totally believe there's a vendetta against Arsenal. I really, really do. Because even some of the challenges that are going in on Saturday, you know, no bookings. What about the one on Martinelli that James brought up? Kilman. Kilman. Yeah, that's a yellow that, card. Do you know what's interesting? Do you remember the game against Swansea at the Emirates? It was John Moss who was the ref. And Granite Xhaka was sent off. And it was right by the touchline. And it was basically, I can't remember who this Swansea player were, but he just did the old push and run beyond him. And Granite Shack, I brought him down. It's your textbook around the halfway line, yellow card. You, you, everyone sees it. Oh, right, Granite Shack has got a yellow card there. It's one of those good yellow cards to have. John Moss, nope, straight red. But that, that, that decision process has never happened again since. I'm sure someone even said to me they changed the rules so that because of that, that incident. It feels like Arsenal are a test case sometimes, doesn't it? It's yeah. what exactly, how, how can we test the, the limits of what is acceptable? Maybe we should try two sendings off within one passage of play. Let's give that a go. Maybe we should see if we can find a reason why kicking somebody in the head, a la uh, Tommy Asu getting a, a boot to the face by Godfrey, you know, because he's looking away, you've then got half-time punters. You've got VAR saying, no, no case to answer. And then you've got Gary Neville bizarrely coming out and saying, I can see what he's done. He's done that on purpose. I can see why they didn't give it, though. It, it's just, it just blows yeah, your mind. Yeah, hello. Yeah. James I mean, McCarthy. Poor old Bakaro Saka got volleyed into the top corner against Crystal Palace. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's bizarre. There is definitely an unconscious bias. I've got some thoughts on, I've got a theory on that. Uh, 
I feel like we've been seeing, I think we said, I might have said this last week, we've said, we've seen the same referees refereeing our games for at least 10 years. They're doing the same things. They know the same players. We don't have players that that are, we've got Pakaya Saka as a full England international, but he's not up to that point where, you know, the old Steven Gerrard or Paul Scholes or Harry Kane, you yeah. put your arm around the ref and you're like, oh, you're right. You're right, Michael. How's the kids? That sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, not, yeah. We, we don't have those types of players. I think there's that part of it. I think also we're just an easier target. I think we are an easier target. And I didn't realise how obvious it was until Granite Jacker did that article in The Athletic where he said that one of his teammates in, in an Arsenal shirt was told by a referee on the pitch, oh, you know Granite Jacker, he always loses his head. So that's what, I think that was a reason why he got, he got a booking. You know, Granite Jacker's cards are already all right. He's had instances... Not very often, but he does have instances where he makes mistakes. But Granite Xhaka's cards are already marked yeah. before he even steps onto the pitch. And we've yeah. got a few of those players. And that's Arsenal. Arsenal, our cards are sometimes already marked before we get onto the pitch. Yeah, so that is a good point. I mean, you're, you're, that is a great point. Because, you know, Granite Xhaka is obviously, you know, he's the easy target, isn't he? Oh, if as soon as he goes in, I'll give him a yellow card because everyone else does it. So, no, you know, even the Arsenal fans are going to go, oh, that's all right, because it was Granite Xhaka. Um, it's 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 a real weird one and something I'm never something I'm never get over about how different how clearly different we are refereed it's it's just so clear it's not even funny anymore you're not even trying to hide it anymore um, anyway we came away from Wolves one nil uh, three points great result uh, great performance by everyone. Um, Unfortunately, Martinelli getting sent getting sent off, which means he will miss the next game um, against Brentford. I think I believe, isn't it, at the weekend? Um, so Smith Rowe on the left, I would imagine. Yeah, Lacazette and and Saka. We'll come to that at the end. Stanley Kroenke, our last topic of the evening. Uh, Stan Kroenke, um, Super Bowl champion. Well, he's not a Super Bowl champion. His team's a Super Bowl champion. Um, a lot of people mentioning him in social media. Oh, give us some money, give us some money, give us some money. You spent all that money on the Rams. Why don't you give us some money? Is he really as bad as... Is he really as bad as an owner as as, as people make him out to be, right? In April 07, he came on board and he, he had 9.9% of the club. September 08, he went up to 29.9% ownership of the club. April the 11th, up to 62.89% um, owner of the club. And then in August 2018, as we all know, um, launched a bid and now owns 100% of the club. Now, since he's owned 100% of the club, we've spent £370 million. So, is it we we're buying poorly, or what is it, James? Um, Three hundred and seventy million pounds. I know you said so. You 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 touched on it a little bit there before we came on there. So if you want to go ahead and um, say what you said. Now those facts came from um, a lad called Adam Keys underscore on Twitter. So if you want to go and follow him, a very good account. Um, likes to post uh, some nice statistics up there. So James, is he really? This bad manager, uh, this bad owner that everyone's making him out to be. What, what's your opinion on him? 
Stan Kroenke in, in particular, as an individual, I don't think he's got much of a passion for Arsenal. And um, I don't mean that in a really narcissistic way. I think Arsenal is very much a business for him. I think yeah. he's I think he's a very big sports fan. I think that's very obvious by, you know, the various franchises that he's got. Um, LA Rams being the prime example. And I think he's obviously got a very deep passion for American football. But in terms of the Premier League, in terms of Arsenal, uh, it's it's kind of like a project for Josh Kroenke, um, which I think is probably the best possible outcome it could be for us yeah. as supporters. Because I think uh, KSE is obviously a, an organisation that looks after various different clubs, as I just mentioned, across the world. But Josh Kroenke, his focus is on Arsenal. And I much prefer that you know his sole focus is on Arsenal rather than... I was being really ambiguous about what is Stan Kroenke doing? What's his actual role? What is KSE? Whereas we know Josh Kroenke looks after Arsenal. And I think he's kind of starting to understand now that, you know, there's a lot of passion from supporters in English football. He's just come out and done this interview saying that the passion for the English soccer game isn't even close or comparable to the passion that you have with the Super Bowl, with, um, with, with American football. And, you know, I don't want to say you know that's the facts that's the case um but i think you'd be hard pressed to find a football fan in england that would uh that would say otherwise because you know you've got fans supporting clubs in league two the national league that's dedicated to their football team you know for so many people the weekend football is the only thing that keeps them going um so it's, it's a huge burning passion for so many people and i think yeah the, he started to come around to that a bit more and given the the money we've spent um, seen a lot of stuff on Twitter that that's that's Arsenal's money rather than KSE's money, and I'm um, I'm very inclined to believe that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, we're spending money. I don't think we've spent it always in the right places prior to the previous summer, where we've maybe spent it quite poorly, not just on on transfer fees, but you know on on the wages of someone like William. But given that we've had such a good summer last year, uh, brought in all the right players, players that are going to be here for hopefully the next five plus years, if we had another summer like that. We don't need to be talking about KSE spending yeah, loads and loads of money. Absolutely, like we're we're you know, 150 million quid away from being there. Maybe yeah. like if we yeah. get a striker and a top midfielder, and then we can just plug the gaps where we need reinforcements. You know, backup right back, maybe a backup wide player. That's all we need. You know, the starting eleven, as you correctly pointed out earlier, is is there. We just need you know that long term Granite Jacker replacement. We need that long term striker. And the the rest of the eleven picks itself. So um, yeah, I think if we continue to spend money in the right ways, then we don't need to be asking uh, Stan and Josh for more money because everything will be in place. And I think they're certainly doing a much better job than they have done previously in terms of being vocal. Um, you know, they've they've done a, a much better job in that sense. And uh, I think the the whole Super League debacle really opened their eyes to yeah. to what this fan base is capable of when you had, you know, Akal yeah. of the AST coming on and telling Josh Kroenke that he should leave the club. You know, that was a big, big wake-up call. So um, massive respect to the AST for doing that. Massive yeah. respect to Akil for saying that to his face because that's a, that's a bold thing to do. I don't think you'd get many LA Rams supporters saying that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's getting better, um, but it's, 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 still, it's still not perfect. Just before you come in there, Chris, I just want to bring some points in. Uh, this one comes in from FT Music TV. We spent 150 million in the summer, and he would have happened. He would have happily opened up the checkbook again um, for Mikhail Arteta last month. Again, the argument is there about was it his money? Was it our money? You know, uh, this one comes in from GB. The KSE problem has been their absenteeism. 
and inability to put a structure in place to ensure that hirings they make are accountable. This season with Josh is the first where it is different. Um, and this is a very good one. I like this one. Um, Arsenal is Josh's project. Only good thing is that Josh has been trying to understand the culture and connect with people. Now, that is very true. Um, you know, going on that interview that he made um, during the week, um, he is definitely trying to, like James says about what he said about, I was really surprised about what he said, that, you know, you, you'd be hard fought to find a passionate, you know, American football fan and a, and a football fan. I mean, he's right. I thought the Super Bowl was a pottery programme, but like he is really trying um to to understand what it means to be an arsenal fan um chris what would would you agree with that or are you you know are you on the side of james or and a lot of other people are saying oh but it's only our own money he's not putting his own money in his his hand in his pocket well let me play the oh. role of uh, the prosecution for those who are listening in audio chris has just presented a dossier <laughs> <laughs> I have many problems with KSE um, and a lot of it, the fabulous listeners have already pointed out. So I'm going to be repeating some of this stuff. Uh, KSE have not put, we don't know that they've put their own money in because they have um, delisted or whatever the financial term is for their accounts. We don't get much visibility on it other than what's on company's house. So we don't know how much they've invested. So to say that they've put money in is wrong because we don't know that who i asked myself who does it benefit for that information to not be in the public domain it benefits kse because then they can position things from a pr perspective in their favor oh look they've arsenal have spent all of this money look what kse are doing they're bankrolling it well maybe not maybe kse have given we talk, we've heard stories of bridging loans of kse saying well we'll 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 front the bill for it all but they're not they're not physically putting up their money. They're just effectively leveraging Arsenal to say, look, we're good for it when they want to when they want to get these bridging loans out. So they've not as far as we're aware, they've not spent their own money. <clears throat> they have take they've delisted from all of the accounts so that we don't get visibility of that information. Um, in terms of their running of the club, we all agree that things are starting to get better now and some good decisions have happened in terms of some of the players that have been brought in. But let's not forget, 2018 was four years ago, and we've also had two eighth-place finish, eighth finishes. We've also overseen some shocking decision-making. We've seen Kia Drabshan walks in, steal a little bit of the family china, and walks out again with plenty of, with his bags filled full of money. Um, and that's all happened on KSE's watch. I think KSE's problem has been there, as somebody's already said, their inability to appoint the right people. And that comes from absentee owners, from not really paying attention to what's going on, from looking at us from across the pond and thinking, oh, they're okay, they're just ticking over. And you, in elite sport, you only have to do that for a very short period of time before that ends up being a real problem, that ends up seeing the car crash that we've seen. Um, they've, they own a lot of sports franchises. They've got a lot of knowledge. But I don't know what that knowledge has done in the four years. I mean, we've only, like I said, only this season have we really started to see a turnaround. So we've had four years of KSE's knowledge, management consultancy fees even, uh, that they took out at some stage in the club. And I don't see the benefits of all of that sporting knowledge. So we've got 
absentee owners, they've got all of this sporting knowledge that they don't seem to be able to translate into success. They've take they've they've made everything a little bit more murky and cloudy because they're not sharing and they're not transparent with us on how Arsenal are spending its money. And with with regards to Josh as well, Daddy's a rich man. Daddy can pay for quite good PR lessons. I reckon if my daddy was a rich man, a rich, rich man, he could pay for some pretty good PR lessons for me. And I can sit in front of cameras and say very nice things that don't really mean anything. So all in all, I think my my case for the for the prosecution should probably finish there because I'm <laughs> waffling. But I think it's fair to say it's not awful, mate. my it's... love of my love, my love of KFC, KFC, KFC is very KFC, nice. Yeah, KFC, yeah. very, very different. No, that wasn't waffle at all, mate. That was actually a brilliant, brilliant section. Um, again, you know, it's it's hard to you know it is hard to disagree with you, but then I can I I can hear I can hear the I can hear the other opinions then of you know when I when I read Twitter or I'm talking to other Arsenal fans or I'm, I'm talking to football fans in general. I can hear their side of the story as well and say, well, you know, I, I'm the type of fan that won't go into that kind of thing like you've just done there, Chris, right? Even though even though it's it's brilliant that what you've just said and, you know, it's opened my eyes up a bit. Perhaps I should do a bit more research um, like that. But, uh, I, you know, I just want the players on the pitch. I don't care where, where it's got to come from or, or who's going to pay for it. Just, just put them on the bloody pitch. Um, and, and and let's win some football matches because, like I said before, I think I, I I I said it last week. I will not watch that all or nothing documentary. I'm not interested. I am not interested one bit what goes on behind the the doors. Three o'clock Saturday or Thursday, eight o'clock or whatever it is. That's the only time I'm interested in in, in watching anything about Arsenal. Brentford at the weekend. Uh, Martinelli out. James. You know, I suppose the team, like you said, picks itself. Tommy Yasu, I believe, back in training. Um, the only change I can see really, mate, is uh, Smith Rowe out on the left um, for Martinelli. Would you agree with that? Yeah, pretty much. And I'd love to see Pepe get half an hour in this game if things are going well, because I think he's coming right off the back of a, of a red-hot um, AFCON uh, where he's had a great tournament. And I'd really like him to keep that momentum going, even if it's just half an hour off the bench. I don't think he's going to get a starting berth in this team. And, um, you know, I'm inclined to agree with that in a minute, not not just because I've got anything against Pepe, but that that free behind uh, Lacazette, Smithrow, Erdegaard, Saka. Yeah. We saw it a few times earlier on in the season. I think we saw it away at Leicester, where it performed really, really well. Yeah. And uh, that's as mouth-watering as having Martinelli in there. And I think Smith-Rowe brings something so different to this team that Martinelli does. Similarly, in terms of driving runs, but creating space, arriving late in the box. I'd love to see him start, love to see him get a goal, and then have someone more chaotic in Pepe come on later in the game. And I think the one player I'd be looking to take off is probably Saka because he has played so much football. Yeah. Granted, he did yeah. get a bit of a break against Wolves, but given that we've got Wolves at home, which is a huge game, if we could get another scrappy 1-0 win there, if we win at Wolves away, win at Brentford at home, then beat Wolves again, that would be a fantastic run of results, given um, that we've got some more winnable games coming up after that, and then we've got a very tough April. So really important we keep that momentum going. And I've got every faith in the team to do it. You know, uh, it's easy to look at games like Burnley and and think that we might have a hiccup, but I do think that was very much a hangover of the injuries we had. We've got a proper midfield now with Jacker and Partey back. Um, I know some people don't rate, uh, rate Jacker, but I think that's definitely our strongest midfield too, and it does perform well. Um, 
proper defence, exciting front four. We've got someone who can genuinely change the game in Pepe on the bench. Uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Mm. I'd love us to win two or three nil, maybe even more. But as long as we get three points, as long as we play well, um, that's all I want to see. You know, that that game at Wolves will mean absolutely nothing if we don't capitalise and beat a very, very poor Brentford side at the moment. I mean, Brentford are kind of in that weird limbo time in the table where they've kind of got enough points to stay up. Yeah. But now they're playing really badly, spiraling into such a poor run of results, but they've still not got to worry too much because they're still quite significantly above the relegation zone. Mm. I think we're playing them at a good time. Um, I just hope, yeah, we, we get the business done. Isn't that called Great. doing a Charlton? Chris, I'd like to agree with James um, about a two or three nil win, but in the back of my mind, this is shouting banana skin, banana skin. I... Especially after, you know, it's, it would just be so Arsenal to go away to a, another Premier League team, win 1-0 away from home, play with 10 men for half an hour and then get home. Everyone's up for it. And then, you know, <laughs> I'm not even going to say what we all know happens. Um, look, we we, we we should be expected to beat Brentford. We, you know, we're a, we're a better side than Brentford, but that's not how football works. And, you know, the three of us, we know that. Um but what what you what would you expect against Brentford? Yeah, do you want me to cheer you up? Yeah, go on. <laughs> so we've actually gonna we're gonna change our we're gonna change our style back to a more familiar style with the arrival of Tomiyasu because the way that he plays and the yeah. style that he plays compared to Cedric means that our setup changes dynamically. If you think about the Wolves game, one of the things that Wolves did and Brentford, you know, they've, everyone's got statistics, data scientists, and all of that malarkey these days. Wolves targeted us by playing diagonals. So the amount of times, you remember the ball was going over to Tierney's side and he was isolated? Well, you can't do those diagonals to Tomiyasu if he's playing because he wins the ball. If Tomiyasu's playing, then we can shift when we're in possession into a back three. So it means that we shouldn't, my my hope, touch wood, is that we're not as exposed. And it also means Tierney can get forward. So I don't think Tierney had that great a game against Wolves. So he's going to be given more license to get forward than he did against Wolves, which gives us extra overloads on that side. Remember the game at the Emirates, North London derby last season, Tierney and Smith Rowe together, absolutely fantastic because they were close together creating a partnership. Brentford, my hope is that they're going to, well, they'll either, I don't think they're a team that sits in, so my hope is that they give us space because they try to come at us. And if Tierney and Smith Rowe get that opportunity, then there's options on that side. We've got the star boy on the other side, Saka, who, again, give him some give him some space, give him some time. And I think he's starting to build a better sort of, um, connection with Tomiyasu. And we've started to see those little diagonals. So you, you can you can almost picture it, Ramsdale to White. White, Tomiyasu, Tomiyasu to party, party Saka. You know, these diagonals going up the pitch on that side. It's quite exciting to watch. And so that's what I'm getting excited for at the weekend. It's Tierney and Smith-Rowe as the connectors, the connection on that left-hand side. And it is Saka, probably with more Odegaard, actually, to be fair, than Tomiyasu. But we've got the stability of Tomiyasu back in. We've got a more the more settled side and the side that has been rock solid and has collected those 11 clean sheets that you've talked about. My hope is that I'm, I'm not going to say this will be easy. It won't be easy. But my hope is that start from clean sheet and then it's just about finding that those pockets of space and the players like Erdegaard, Smith-Rowe, Tierney um, and Saka stepping up. And as James said, wouldn't it be nice to see Pepe because guy's a finisher. So, 
hopefully that's cheered you up a little absolutely bit. Absolutely can't, absolutely can't disagree with you anymore. That brings us to the end of this week's Four Men and a Mic. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you all of you for staying along um, and listening to us. Thank you also if you're listening to us on audio. Um, thank you very much indeed. James, thank you very much for your company this evening. As always, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. You're very welcome, mate. Thank you for uh, having me on as always. And uh, yeah, up the Arsenal. See you next week. See you next week. Chris, thank you very much, sir, for your time and um, your superb analysis once again. Thank you very much, sir. An absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. I am not celebrating. I'm going deadpan. This is how I say <laughs> thank you. Good night. <laughs> Same old Arsenal will be back on Friday night with Amanda's Always Arsenal show. Her her guests will be Danny, um, hopefully, if he's if he's not got a dicky stomach um, on Friday, and uh, Mervin um, as well. So Friday night, 9 o'clock, the Always Arsenal show with Amanda. Make sure you're there. Uh, check out, obviously, Twitter. We'll let you know when she goes live and um, all that malarkey. We will see you again next week. Until I do... Thank you very much. Until I see you again, up the Arsenal. Be nice to each other and all that. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.